Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Drop. Today we are joined by the Lasso Sound Team, re-recording mixers, Sean Byrne and Ryan Kennedy. Thank you guys for, for coming and joining us. And uh, I love that I get to say, welcome to the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, you did both season one and season two, right? Yes. Both of you as a team. And you actually have the benefit of having worked together on quite a few shows before together. I think I saw High School Musical, the series. Yeah. Uh, was it Dr. Ken? Yeah. And Murphy Brown. Yeah. yeah. That was like, a, yeah. I lit up, I saw that. We've kind of created a team, if you will. It's, um, yeah, uh, Sean and I work together. Um, we have a stage at Warner Brothers, it's Dub 7, and then we welcome in work that way. Can you kind of unpack for me, I mean, because there's a sound editor and a sound uh, mixer and there's a music editor, and but you guys as the re-recording mixers touch all of it, yeah? Yeah, that's true. Uh, and, and forgive me if that's too big of an ask, but can you kind of take me through what happens from set until it reaches you and then what you're doing in that room with the, those producers with notes flying at you and having to think about the tweaks, but it all starts with a clapboard, yeah? Yeah. Um, once shooting's done, um, I, from how I understand it, is picture editors get it um, and they compile together what the vision kind of is visually and then they put together a temp sound idea of what they want and then there's a spotting session where everybody sits down and they're like, you know, this is what I want at this location, this is what I want at that location. You know, and that's building, you know, like different takes of dialogue, music, effects, things like that that everybody wants. And then um, from there, the picture people kind of, as far as I know, because I'm the sound guy and I'm not in the picture world, I, from there I think the picture people kind of start fine tuning what they have and then the sound people get the direction of where they're supposed to go and then they start building what they have to build as far as uh, shooting fully, building sound effects, cutting dialogue, uh, putting together backgrounds, shooting group, ADR when necessary. And then um, once all of that is done, relatively speaking, because it's never actually done, even when it hits the mix stage, it kind of all comes to us. And then we listen to what, the, we, we, for Ted Lasso, uh, we watch the show before we ever mix anything. We watch the guide, um, what's sent over to us. We want to try to understand where the story's going because if we don't know where it's supposed to end, we may not know what we're supposed to do at the beginning kind of thing to kind of help build this arc that happens over the course of each episode. We don't ever assume that it's been, that it's been lightheartedly thrown together. I mean, I, I know that picture editors spend a lot of time building this stuff and we don't want to dishonor or, you know, not validate what they've done so we, we really try to intently like go after it with a real idea of we, we want to see this vision come together right yeah especially when it comes to melissa mccoy and now francesca castro yeah. oh uh, yeah they're, they're great and unbelievable they're the, we get stuff that's sent to stage and i mean sean and i would just be like shoot <laughs> like we gotta we have to match that or better it you know right. like yeah. And, and we get a lot of notes and sometimes, you know, we, we don't go in the direction that's originally envisioned and then we'll, we'll go back, you know. But I mean, what's great working with them and everybody is that we're honestly offered the opportunity to present our idea. Right. And then if we have to unwind it, we have to unwind it. There's no hard feelings about that or anything. 
Well, can I, um, can we use episode 107, Make Rebecca Great Again, to kind of unpack what you're talking about? Sure. Because that was an absolute art piece that I understand this season is likely to be 209, and this audience has already heard about 209. So last season, 107, this season, 209, both Mel and Frankie have called those their art pieces and that they fine-toothed, combed over every detail to create something that they felt would reach an audience and come through the screen. And at least for me on 107, that absolutely happened. I knew she was winning an Emmy, an Eddie, and a Golden Clue, whatever. That episode was a masterclass in editing and was so each and every one of you flossed your teeth with that episode to make sure it was exactly what the writers had envisioned, what the editors had put together from that, the sound experience. I mean, Ted's panic attacks. You guys created that in the pilot. (laughs) Yeah, 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 no, no, I, I... The sound of his panic attacks was a constant companion that just dropped in across different episodes. So if we think about 107, can you kind of share with me what that process became? Because sound, never mind the songs, any of it, like the sound, the environment, I was in that karaoke atmosphere. Like even with Roy flipping the bench, like all of those things, how does that creative process go between you guys? I think it starts with, like we said, we watched the guide and, you know, when we heard the Roy lifting the bench up, we heard that and we're like, okay, we've got some work to do there. Let's hear the audio guide. And now, the final audio. Let's go get these fuckers. But once we got to the panic attack and heard the sound design that Francesca and Mel designed, we looked at each other and went, that's pretty good. Audio guide. That's the way we leaned. We didn't want to deviate from it too much. There's some technical things we have to do on stage in a panic attack scene like that, since we're in an Atmos environment, um, where we need to spread stuff around the room. Uh, the tone they gave us might not have worked perfectly, so we found one that worked with the music a little bit more, or added a little more of a chorus to it, so it gave it a little more intensity, that yeah. kind of thing. Filtering the dialogue so that it has that 
it, it goes into the back of your mind, so to speak. And it, it's... I mean, you had so many moving parts on that. He oh, yeah. was moving. Yeah. You had Rebecca on stage where focus was, but then it building for him, going through a crowd, which that's not even necessarily what you hear when you're the person having the panic attack. We probably spent four hours yeah. easy of just going over it, going over it, going over it, raise this, lower that, lift this, less of that, EQ this, pull that back. Now, the final audio. But on episode 110, when Roy is gone off the field, that whole sequence from, uh, you know, Roy Kent, Roy Kent and that, into the quiet loneliness of that locker room. Not that back here during the game. I told you, you have to get out. I mean it, stay the fuck away from me. How do you build that? You went from this huge, emotional, roaring stadium into a quiet locker room. On the sound effects side of things, you know, it's often silence is sometimes louder than a big thunderous explosion or bang. So it's knowing when to hold back or being told to just hold back. And, you know, sound's always a feeling first that generates an idea in your mind. And when you don't hear anything, your brain is out there searching for something to hold on to. And if it can only hold on to the beautifully composed music, that's where your, that's where your head and your heart goes. So sometimes it's knowing when not to play something. I was going to ask about the crowd work, too, because obviously those crowds are deafening. There could be nothing happening on the field. It could be a timeout, and that crowd is still deafening. Is that same thing? Editor kind of leads on that, but... Crowds are tough. You yeah. know, we get an idea of the energy that... I mean, to be clear, it's an empty stadium that they're filming mm -hmm. in. It really is yeah. up to you guys to create the feel of what's happening. Yeah. We get an idea of the energy from the picture editor by listening to what they provided. What kind of mood the crowd is in. Are we doing a bunch of cheers and swells or that kind of thing? And then Kip's medley will take it and same kind of process. He'll assemble a myriad of different perspectives of crowds for me. So that whether we're on the field or in the owner's box or um, in the fan section, 
I've got different perspectives to play with. Roy, are you okay? Fuck. Fuck my knee. You want to come for the stretcher, Roy? No, just help me up. What the fuck are you doing? Listen. In the Atmos environment, I get to give those a little height. I get to spread them around the room because mixing in Atmos is a lot like mixing in a dome rather than uh, 5-1 or 7-1, which is just kind of an even plane around you. Um, so I'm able to give some of the dronier sounding crowds a little height, something like you'd hear at Dodger Stadium, or the more intense claps and cheers. Those will go right up the center um, with, uh, with the dialogue. The tricky part about crowds is, is it's just track after track after track of white noise. So you have to find a way to carve a little hole so that the dialogue can cut through while still keeping the energy of the crowd going. So there's a lot of weaving in and around dialogue, weaving in and around um, music, because you want to feel the crowds without them being the star of the show. They have to maintain an energy too. It can't just be like a white noise that blankets a scene of ah, right. kind of thing. It's got to have like, you know, little voices that pop in and out at certain moments when you see things on, on camera. Um, we get loop group and where Sean fills in with some crowds and how they move and weave around dialogue, there's loop group that kind of has its little moments where you see an individual person pop out and then it's a moment for me to push that so you, your eye is drawn to that moment and you hear that person just peek above the crowd a little bit, you know, just something that you might see if you were at a stadium watching a game and you happen to focus in on somebody and you, you hear them just for that brief second and then it moves on to the other noises that are going on around you. All we need is a tie. We just need a tie, boys! We just need a tie! Come on, let's go! Come on, Richmond! Three minutes of any time is all that's left in Richmond's feed. One of my favorite things about the show is they actually use Arlo White's microphone. Really? For the recordings. So I, I there's not a lot that I have to like the intentionality mess the with as far as like capturing his authentic sound. Um, a lot of it's just me just throwing up a fader and making sure that there's not like pops or clicks or anything like that because they're really using that lip mic as they call it that that they do. And then there there are times where we have ADR because Arlo's in Tokyo calling the U.S. soccer, you know, over there. And um, I've had to make whatever mic he's using in his hotel sound like the lip mic. Um, if I could be selfish for a second and ask you guys about the mix for the animated goalkeeper in 201. Oh, yeah. yeah. That... I was not expecting that. So I was the animation supervisor for that poor little goalie who met his end. Yeah. Uh, but we did not know that sound effects would be in there. <laughs> How did that one come together? We were given a bunch of choices. Yeah. And then it went back to committee and more choices were made and more options were given. And ultimately it rests on um, what Jason and... Um, Kip and Brent want to hear in that episode. You know, you never know it's the right one until you watch your producers laugh through Zoom. And then you're like, that's it. Oh, gamesmanship from the keeper. How will Rojas respond? Oh, 
uh, Dr. Sharon. Any, any different kind of audio environments for her? She always does seem particularly calming. Well, I know from a, an effect side of things, as soon as I heard she's in corporate housing, everything becomes real sterile, yeah. has no emotion. It's just, it's just sterile, you know, and reverberant at the same time. There's not a lot of warmth in that room, in her, in her housing. Because her apartment flat is so stark as far as like, there's, like Sean was saying, no warmth to, to her scenes. Um, you know, adding a touch of reverb to her dialogue kind of helps with the vastness of everything that's going on for the environment that she's in. But then there's moments where, like when she's in Ted's office and they, they meet for the first time, you know, you just kind of want that, her dialogue to be very front and center. It's almost uh, commanding in how she comes in and introduces herself. Put all bullshit humility aside and be honest with me. Are you good at your job, yes or no? Um, yes. I believe you. Well, as good as you are at your job, I'm twice as good at mine. Well, in re-watching season one last night, trying to think about sound, like I noticed how intentional silent mode on or off is. That's, that was surprising to me because you have Rebecca in a lot of scenarios like swiping or in this season with Nora and like ignoring things, but you hear the vibration and just like, so that the phone, well, actually the phone this season period is like an extra character Yeah. for Keely, for her, for Ted. Is that just kind of um, passe at this point or is that for you guys? Apple has notes. I can just say that. Apple has notes. Apple. <laughs> they want every Apple device to have the uh, authentic Apple sound for the moment. That makes so, sense. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and then really, I mean, our phones are characters in our lives these days. I mean, it, we can try to pretend like they're not, but, you know, and wish for a time when they weren't. But the reality is, is that we've all adapted this device to be a pretty intricate part of our lives daily. You know, I mean, so it only makes sense, really, that the phone would play such an important role in the telling of the story. Yeah. So for you guys, do you have, like, favorites that you've worked on? Any specific scenes? Or, I mean, entire episodes, but I think we've already covered 107 and 209, so. Yeah, 205. I love the moment when Roy Kent stands up from his, that job doing a pundit, and we're just like, I can't do this anymore, and then runs out the door and joins the coaching staff of AFC Richmond. Like that whole sequence of events, I'm just like, yeah, like, get it. That's actually, yeah, you have a lot of different environments in that scene. Yeah, because yeah, because it's, uh, he starts off in the studio, he runs outside, he gets into the cab, he's in the cab, he's running up to the, the guy who rides the bicycle. The guy with the bicycle gives him a ride <laughs> to the stadium, and he's, then he has a little conversation with the ticket guys, and then he gets into the stadium, and then it's just, Sound actually in Sky Sports sounded pretty good. I was like, but that was also, uh, I think they filmed that early on because it's, um, especially that was with COVID and it was a very small group of people that could be on there. So it was just, and it's already a, you know, broadcast set. So what are those like? That and um, Lust Island. How different were those? Yeah. I mean, with those, we try and make it sound like a nice clean set. You know, we don't do a whole lot of hoopla to get in the way or color the sound a lot. 
we make it real dry and sterile, just a little air conditioning going on. And then we focus on, I'm speaking for Ryan now, but he focuses on it sounding like a lavalier, kind of like what I'm wearing right now. And then how much of the music do you guys touch? So you guys mentioned that like you carve out a path for dialogue or like once, once all of that comes to you, you know, you have Marcus Mumford and Tom's Al like yeah. doing the music for this show. How much of that do you then touch during the mix? I think a lot like how you would see an intense drama scene. Sometimes the camera's focused on one thing in the shot and then all of a sudden it's focused on something else and then pulls your focus here. In mixing, a lot of times what we're doing is we're not just trying to play everything so you hear everything. We're trying to subtly highlight, listen to this, listen to this. This is what's important now. So we you get in, no, mm -hmm. sorry, yeah, we get into like an actor's head, you know, like uh, the episode that we just finished uh, with 211, you know, there's a moment where there's some talking going on, but the, 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 the banter that's going on isn't actually what the focus is, is we're zoning in and zeroing in on Rebecca in this moment. And the music lifts while the dialogue kind of goes away. And then she comes out of it, the dialogue's back, and then we're back into like the scene rather than being in her head. Mm -hmm. It all kind of ties back to uh, something Mel McCoy said one time. I live for those moments where you hear a song and you remember the first time you heard it while watching a show yeah. in like the 80s or the 90s. And, you know, we talked about this in our South by Southwest panel where especially in a time when we're so distanced or isolated and separated from one another, you're giving people shared experience. Right. You know, everyone's heard a certain song or now they will have, and they're all going to have that same feeling together. So bravo, guys. You know, a lot of credit has to go to our music editor, Richard Brown. He, uh, he's got the... Uh, Herculean task of being told we want to hear this song through here, but we needed to hit here, we needed to hit on this cut, we needed to hit on this cut. And you know, a song, the beat never changes. But he's got to find a way to make all those beats hit. Musically. Yes. And have it yeah. not bump you. And so he's working on a song for months before we even get to hear it. You know, I mean, I couldn't do his job. For months? Months. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Across 12 episodes. Yeah. Can we send him something as a thank you? <laughs> yeah. It's, he really like, yeah. And he's an unsung hero of the whole series. It really, it's in, he, he, yeah, he puts forth so much effort and what he delivers to the stage. I mean, I couldn't ask for a better delivery as far as music goes. Cause a lot of times it's a set it and forget it kind of thing with Richard. It's yeah. I can't praise the guy enough. You know, Nate's trajectory, especially, this season has been so huge. And I think, actually, that's a, that's a really good question. How did that change, if at all? You really did have Empire Strikes Back here. Yeah. And so he went from uh, not only a full head of black hair to uh, salt, salt and pepper, pepper almost yeah. uh, tonally. You know, I just rewatched, I think it's 205 where he spits on the mirror. And like, there's, it's just so different. It's been fun to, there's been sonic things that we have incorporated into the show that kind of signify when Nate is going down the, this dark path, you know, and it, there's these low sonic rumbles that come in, you know, like that uh, get played 
to emphasize what he's going through? There's a lot of mirror shots where there's realizations, there's epiphanies, there's moments. And we try not to throw it in your face, but we'll subtly do a little whoa, you know, um, just a little low end rumble for some resolve. You know, you don't quite hear it, but you feel it. You know, you don't know whether it's coming from the music or the sound effects or just this feeling you have, but we try not to hit you over the head with it. Yeah, Tom composes for those moments as well, and the stuff that he brings to the table, it, it really sells that something's going on with Nate internally. That he's having some sort of conflict, and I think that between the music and the, the sound effects and the way that the picture's cut, the way that it all comes together, like you really, you really get the feeling of what's going on in the story. At the end of the day, you don't even realize that it was the sound mixer that caused you to feel that way. Like, for the rest of my life, I will remember the sound of that bench tearing. Hmm. For the rest of my life, I'll remember that. I will remember the panic attack. Um, and I think I even said that in the South by Southwest panel with Bill, but like, for the rest of my life, I will remember Alex P. Keaton and this one squeak on the floor during his Our Town episode where it was all staged like a play. Yeah. And it was just the intentionality of letting it play out as if he was on stage and there was nothing you could hide and it was raw and it was vulnerable and that was the sound. It wasn't soundtrack, it was the sound. Yeah. Oh, Greg's dead. And I'm alive. And I can't change that. Thank you guys. Thank you for having us. spending your day yeah. off with us. And uh, that's it. We'll see you on the next one.